Hi, my name is Stuart Alsop, and this is my podcast, Crazy Wisdom, where I interview creative people about how they work with and manage the stress that is inherent in creative work. What I've realized over the past 10 years of my research is that anybody who is creating something of value that is significantly different from what has come before is considered crazy. Most of us have a fear, an ingrained fear of going crazy. Uh, so what I'm saying is grab onto that fear, realize that it's there, and just go with it because the problems we're going to be facing over the next 20 years require crazy people in order to solve them. Hi, welcome. Um, today we uh, we do a live stream interview about stress and creativity in the context of remote work. I'm Sid, the co-founder and CEO at GitLab, and I'm joined by Stuart. Stuart, maybe you can introduce yourself and feel free to start with the questions. Of course. Yeah, my name is Stuart Alsop, and I run the podcast Crazy Wisdom, where I interview creative people about how they work with stress and relationship between stress and creativity. Uh, and so I wanted to talk to Sid particularly because uh, GitLab has such a um, effective means for remote work. Uh, and I want to talk about what is the relationship between stress and creativity, particularly in the context of remote work, because a lot of people view remote work as particularly stressful, not in a way in the same way that stress is in terms of having, you know, a difficult boss to work with, but in terms of just being on your own um, uh, and not having people around you, which is, you know, evolutionarily, maybe the way that we were designed to work. Um, and so, uh, Sid, I wanted to ask you, what what is your personal opinion on this kind of connection between stress and creativity? Yeah, I, f I think that all creative uh, professions are more stressful. Like you, uh, it's harder to know whether you're doing good or bad. And uh, the goals are more ambiguous. Um, the variance in performance is much bigger. Uh, you go through periods where like you're, you're not making any progress. You're actually going backwards. Like you made it, you made, you did something and it didn't work out. And that that's all part of the creative process. But I think inherently uh, creative uh, professions are, are more stressful. Mm, that's true. And it seems like there's an element of also of not very good feedback uh, from those creative things where you put something out there and you don't get that type of feedback that tells you exactly where you're going with that. Whereas more kind of menial things, you immediately get that feedback. Okay, I, I didn't put that that thing into the right place. And there there it is. Yeah. Yep. The progress is more linear, more visible. Mm. And so in this context of remote work, I want to talk about GitLab and, and did this, this, your, your approach to remote work, did it arise kind of organically or was it something that you had learned previously and then you intentionally created for the company? It arrived organically. Um, we never set out or were insistent on remote work in the beginning. Um, but my co-founder was in the Ukraine and our first employee was in Serbia while I was in the Netherlands. Um, so that was kind of remote and we didn't have the, the, the means to move everyone together. And then the first few um, other team members were in the Netherlands as well. And they, uh, they kind of stopped coming into the office. <laughs> the office was just me and a, and a spare desk, like, and they also had to work with the other people. So you were next to each other, but you were working 
on Slack and uh, not at the time, but now Zoom. Anyway, so yeah, why not? Why not just stay home and save yourself the trip? Mm. And so what are some of the biggest sources of stress that you guys have faced in this, in, the, in your um, evolution as a company? So stress as a company, um, I think the, the hard decisions are maybe something to talk about. So the first big decision we made was um, forced upon us because we couldn't make any money with uh, first, first we tried to make money with GitLab.com that didn't work. We tried to make money with donations that didn't work. Tried to make money with support uh, that didn't work because people didn't have any questions because we documented everything. And we tried to do paid development. It was super hard to purchase. So we had to kind of find, find a new way of, of monetizing the business. And we ended up with OpenCore where we sell features plus some support. And that, that worked. Huh. I think another big decision was to go from uh, just version control, just to create part of the DevOps lifecycle to now all stages of the DevOps lifecycle, which is like 10 times more. Mm. And that, that allowed you to create a business that nobody had, had done this type of business that you guys are doing right now, where it's kind of this open source, yet you still charge for features and stuff like that. I think there's a couple of, yeah, the open core model is getting more popular. So there's other businesses doing something similar. Uh, for wow. example, uh, uh, Confluent with Kafka, Elasticsearch are, are similar models where they charge for more features. Got it. Um, and then how has that enabled, how has what you guys have uh, done enabled uh, developers to become more creative? Um, I think we, we make it easier. So with GitLab, you just commit your code, you push it, and GitLab figures out the rest. GitLab figures out how to uh, build it, how to uh, run your tests, how to check the quality, how to check the performance, how to give you an environment to test it in. Um, it checks for, for all kinds of security uh, attributes. So it kind of, instead of you working on your tools, you can work on what you're building with the tools. Mm, very interesting. And so then at a personal level for some of your employees or for you or yourself, have you ever faced any um, kind of non-ordinary stresses from working remotely? Uh, for example, loneliness or being on your own? And then how do you guys solve that within the company? Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's a couple of aspects. So there's the, you do want interaction with uh, team, team members. So that's very important. Um, and you want that, uh, I think we have that automatically for all the uh, functional stuff. So we really encourage people to get on a video call together if there's some back and forth or if they want to discuss something or they want to hash something out. So um, I think that happens anyway. So it's not that people, remote doesn't mean you're not meeting people, I'm meeting people the entire day. And uh, I, I think that's, that's working. I think what you have to organize for in an all remote company um, is the, the, uh, the, the informal uh, meeting of people. Mm -hmm. and we do that in a couple of ways. Um, we have uh, coffee chats and those are like, it's okay to just schedule 25 minutes with someone without an agenda. And that's like, you can talk about anything and it doesn't necessarily have to be work. And we, new people to the company, we, we make them do 10 of those and we encourage it, people to uh, 
uh, to join our chat channel. It's a, it's, a, it's an application. Do not be strangers. The donor channel, and uh, and keep keep doing those. Yeah. Another thing we do is group conversations. Uh, every day, there's a half an hour where uh, a department in the company presents uh, what they're working on for less than ten minutes, and then twenty minutes is reserved for Q and A. So, it's kind of like informal talk about what people are doing. And then we have a, a company call every day. And today was, for example, five minutes of announcements and 20 minutes of talking about things. We suggest the subject and we sometimes drift into another conversation. And it's a fixed set of people throughout the quarter in which, uh, with whom you're interacting. And besides that, we also have a travel grant where people travel to visit other team members mm -hmm. and where the company helps to pay for that. Mm -hmm. And we do a, a, a get together every nine months called mm. GitLab Contribute uh, in, a, in a, most of the time, a, a nice location where we don't spend all the time in conference rooms, but we go out, do excursions, and we have an unconference kind of thing where you're not watching presentations, but you're really in a, in a, in a smaller group interacting. Mm. And those group calls, is that the whole company itself or is it groups within the company? Yeah, so we'd, uh, group conversation is the whole company is invited and one group is the subject matter of the day. And a company call again, it's the whole company. Uh, and there's like five announcements that people have, like stuff that happened, but that's just a trigger to get together. And afterwards it's, uh, you split off into, I think it's now 16 different groups or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. And so the thing that comes to mind when, you, when you're talking about this is that, is that you have a formal work, which happens no matter what. And then you have the informal meeting together but then you've made the informal meeting together formal in a way because you have these kind of things. And, and the thing that comes to my mind was that that would feel inauthentic or something like that. Is that true? You'd think so. Like um, you'd think that like saying, hey, this is your group and go talk about your life outside of work that, oh. that feel inauthentic. It's, it's not the case. Um, and uh, it's, it's a bit funny. Like I, <laughs> when we, uh, you talk about your, your week that you had, and I'll only remember that from like uh, when I was a small kid, and and that's how the day started at school, like where you mm -hmm. talked about what you did uh, the last week, and we kind of have institutionalized that, and it, it, oh. it doesn't feel weird uh, somehow. It it feels it it, and it's optional. Like you don't have to participate, but I participate. I enjoy it, and, and many other people do. And so uh, can you talk more about the composition of your team and, and the, of the company itself and like how, uh, where geo and geographically speak, geographically speaking, where are, are people all over the world? Or are they in certain different um, places? Yeah. So I'll share, if you Google GitLab team, uh, you'll find a map. I'll uh, share my screen for a second. So this is GitLab team. Click this. And there's now 467 team members in uh, 50 countries and regions. Oh. And uh, if you want more detail, you can kind of zoom in on where people are. And did somebody have to build this or did somebody just come up with this idea and built this? Um, did you so, guys intentionally do it or? Yeah, so we always had a map. I think it was a service of some sort before. And then uh, not everyone participated because it was another logging you had to create. So people say, well, we have the locations and uh, uh, there's a service called Mapbox that uses OpenStreetMap where 
everyone puts in on our team page, everyone puts in their location. So people know what time zone you are. Mm. And this is auto generated based on that. Mm. Um, and so the next question is going to get a little bit philosophical. Uh, and but it is in, in the nature of creativity and, and stress, which is uh, that it seems that our species is evolving more towards living most of our lives in a virtual space. Um, and, and work is now with what you guys are doing, it seems like that's going further in that direction. Uh, what do you think about this kind of, this transition we seem to be going through as a species from living in this physical world to this virtual world? Do you think that that's valid or do you think that's incorrect? Um, yeah, I think, I think that's happening. And I think in a meeting, I get as much out of meetings by video call as I get out of in-person meetings uh, getting work done. Like I think the audio and video is of such a high quality. It's like 80% there. And I get more benefit because I can have a document on the side with which we take notes together. Um, and that kind of increases it to kind of be equivalent to an in-person meeting. Mm. I do think there's something to kind of our brains that being in-person with someone creates a connection that you otherwise don't have. So I, do, I think it's still important to meet in person with people from time to time. That's why we do our contribute events. That's why we encourage people to meet up locally. That's why we encourage people to travel to each other. Um, and yeah, I, I had dinner yesterday with, with friends. Uh, yeah, it's, it feels good to be in person. And mm -hmm. for some people like me, I'm fine with being in an office uh, by myself the entire day and be on video chats. But Many people in our company don't like that. They want kind of people around them, not to necessarily do a lot with, but it feels good to be around people. Mm. So they go for a co-working space and mm. get a lot of pace for that. Mm. And do you think uh, do you think tools will eventually solve that problem so that maybe the uh, maybe there will be a tool, maybe virtual reality or augmented reality, where we really do feel like we're in the presence of other people, um, but are not? Yeah, I, I think it's a very... Um, reptile brain thing and i think the reptile brain can be fooled i think uh, the, the feeling of presence if you look at all the virtual reality like how do you create presence there's not very nice white papers about it mm. um and I, I think that that will come i think there yeah do you happen to have one in mind or remember one white paper that people could go look for for, for, for that information yeah i think it was from nvidia mm. and i think it listed all the things it was either from nvidia or the Oculus, uh, the company bought by Facebook, and it listed all the things you had to do to create a, a feeling of presence. And it were things like, what should be the have movement to light speed of, of your setup, um, but also like how fast can you move? What colors do you use? Um, how fast, like, for example, uh, the, do you move yourself or are you on a, on a guided path? All these all these things that if they don't match up, you lose your feeling of presence. And, and I think uh, right now I'm very aware I'm here in the office, but I think the technology pretty soon is going to have a thing where, where you sit around together. And I think Oculus already showed demos of that and uh, uh, I'm looking forward to that. Okay, interesting. I'll try to find that information for any listeners who want to who wanna, uh, get more into that. Um, that's uh, something really kind of uh, a weird just popped into my mind, but essentially uh, not only technology in the sense of, of computers and, and visualization and stuff like that, but I'm, I think that biology and uh, 
biotechnology might also change that in the sense of hallucinogens and maybe uh, something like that, where we can actually create mind uh, mind states that that are more apt to presence. I, I don't know something that sounds like an interesting path. Um, in terms of uh, your own uh, kind of the way that you handle stress uh, and you, and you view yourself as a creative person, do you use any techniques such as meditation, yoga, um, dance, anything like this that that help you kind of uh, work with stress? Yeah, um, I just bought a, a Muse. Uh, it's a it's a headband that helps you with guided meditation. I like that a lot. I went to a silent retreat the other day. Um, I'm not sure. It, super benefits me i'm a bit i'm on the skeptical side still i think it's interesting so um that's why i do it i, I think the best thing to stress is just uh, having a clear end of your work day and then putting your phone on do not disturb and and think about other things and uh -huh. i like to go to the gym i, I put spend uh, an hour in the gym this morning and then i used to work on my phone, kind of reply to messages, but I find it more relaxing. I now have like an iPad and I play uh, for my watch later list and it's like conference videos and stuff like that. It's more relaxing if I know nothing is expected of me. I don't have to feel pressure to reply. So I, I think that like knowing people are going to place demands on your time that you need a response, I think that's stressful. So we encourage our people like during the day, just turn on the notifications and know you have three hours to just do whatever you're going to do. I think that's a big benefit and I think that's easier remote because you're not going to get a tap on the shoulder. And that's, and that's why you guys have this asynchronous communication policy, correct? Is that, is that by default, most communication is asynchronous and that allows people to answer when, when they need to, which removes this urgency factor, correct? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, and did that develop organically or was that something that you guys intentionally said, okay, no, we're only going to do asynchronous communication. It's not only, we, we still, we also use chat, but um, yeah, we, we did that also because otherwise um, you're going to gravitate towards one time zone and we have people all over the world and we want, our mission is everyone can contribute and this is the only way. Yeah. The end of distance, but not of time zones. Interesting. <laughs> um, that's really cool. Um, and have you have you ever experienced burnout or or have you ever experienced a sort of major stressful event related to work at all? Um, yeah, uh, last year uh, I had to uh, um, something wasn't working out with another executive and it was a major source of stress. Um, and uh, I I did this a lot, like where I hunched my shoulders, and in the end I couldn't even move my head anymore. So my head could move a centimeter. Uh, either way uh, and then i kind of got pretty big rsi in one hand and then one of my feet gave out uh and that kind of sucked uh, i was walking too little because i don't have to walk a lot i did go on a treadmill but it wasn't good i had to kind of uh recover for a while and for a while i couldn't walk for any uh significant distance so it was a bit scary uh, uh so i'm trying to walk a bit more I'm trying to not to do this anymore uh -huh. be uh, uh, a bit less stressed about things and and in terms of this thing and all the other thing have you done massage or body work or anything like that did that help at all or yeah i went to a massage and they were a bit surprised that i really couldn't move my head and it didn't work that well but just not doing this worked really well and it, it just uh -huh. the way uh -huh. interesting 
So did you have any kind of tips or techniques that, that helped you through that? Or was it essentially just, just um, moving through it uh, and kind of, and, and w what helps you get through that? Yeah, I, I don't have any special advice. It's just try to try to have things outside of work that make you see the relativity of, of, of your job and that everything is still fine, even if, if work isn't working out. And uh, I think that's really important. And that's why kids or hobbies or just spending the weekend or something else really help. I love to go get away from San Francisco in the weekend. Oh. Um, of course, like posture and all those things are important mm -hmm. as well. Uh -huh. yeah, and, and just and just getting your your steps in and things like that. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because the what they've what a lot of the evidence behind posture has been saying is that posture isn't that actually been that important for pain um, because we uh, we are functionally unstable. Our bodies are functionally unstable because we so that we can have more higher mobility and so that when we're standing, we're actually switching between muscles. Um, and, and so that posture itself isn't that important. Basically posture is a continuously dynamic thing. Um, and, and that a lot of people, when they talk about chronic pain, uh, it, they feel the chronic pain in a particular area of the body, but we're finding out that, um, people who are asymptomatic also have issues. Uh, they also, if you scan inside of their body, they also have issues inside of their body, uh, and they don't have pain. Uh, and so people, so pain is not an accurate indicator of, of tissue damage and it's not an accurate indicator of posture as well. Um, which has been, which has been interesting. Cool. Um, yeah. And so, um, what is kind of the biggest, uh, if you had one book article idea that you've read in the last 30 days or so that helps, that could help people with creativity or stress, uh, what, what is it? That's a, that's a hard one. We have a couple of resources about mental health in our handbook. Uh, we, we, we think it's really important that mental health uh, gets as much recognition as physical health. Um, and one thing we do is uh, we, we give people a subscription to Headspace. Headspace is one of the two guided meditation apps together with Calm. Uh, I think for, for many people, that's, uh, they, they find it beneficial. I think that's helpful. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the biggest thing we can, we do as an organization is we measure your output and not your input. So uh, we do get a lot done, but we don't get it done to working super long hours so that, that there's time for other things in your life and that there's flexibility where you can uh, organize your day and you can have um, your family and friends be the first thing. And then you organize your work around that instead of the other way around. Mm. And has you, have you guys measured the output of that decision? Have you guys measured how well that is working in terms of productivity? Is that like, is, is there some, because also in my mind, when you say that, it, it makes me think that would actually make people more productive because they're like, oh, I'm working for this organization that really cares me, about me as a person. Have you guys found that to be true? I think it's, uh, well, we've done it since the beginning. So we don't have an A-B test. Okay. I don't, think, I don't think the big benefit is in people caring about the organizations. I know organizations where people get measured on their input and they still care about the organization. I think it's just you get what you measure. So if you measure output, you're going to get more output. And if you measure input, you're going to get more input. Um, so I think that's the biggest benefit. Mm. Mm. Um, 
And do you have a part of the company that's dedicated towards uh, thinking about these types of things? I mean, I guess HR, you already have that, but does the HR kind of think about these things intentionally, making sure that, they, that they're um, measuring output and stuff like that? I think measuring output is one of our values. So one of our values is results. And it says, says clearly there, like what, how, how, we, how we do that. And our, our values come back in everything we do at the company who we hire, who we give bonuses to, who we promote, who we let go. Um, so I think it's reinforced throughout the company. A specific thing like paying for headspace, that in the end, the organization of that is on people ups, but everyone can contribute. So anyone can make a proposal to add things uh, like that, mm. the specific department that that is measuring output. And we even like functionally how we organize the company, mm. um, we don't have cross-functional teams because for cross-functional leader, it's gonna be very hard to measure the output because there's so many different expertises. We don't do stuff like that in order to uh, to measure output. We also have small things, like we have a thank you channel. Every day there's more than 10 posts of people thanking each other, but you're not allowed to thank someone for working outside of office hours because mm -hmm. we don't wanna we don't wanna stimulate that as a, as a thing to be celebrated. Mm. What are some of the other values that you have, or what's the what's the value that you have come across most in the last week? I think uh, what I come across is the transparency value. I talk with a lot of people that don't work at GitLab, and they're always amazed at how much they can find about us. Um, so externally, that's that comes up the most. I think internally, the value that comes up the most is iteration, because it's the hardest value to adapt to. Mm. And how can being really, because you guys seem to be very clear about your values and you seem to be very, very transparent. How can those things kind of help the environment become less stressful? Well, that's an, that's an interesting uh, question. And they, they can also do the, maybe the reverse from time to time, uh -huh. um, but uh, let's, let's answer the positive case. So for collaboration, I, I think it's, uh, maybe a bit obvious. Um, the first sub value under that is kindness and sharing and uh, saying thanks. So hopefully uh, that helps with, with making things less stressful. Mm -hmm. I think measuring on the results, the first sub value is measure results, not hours. I think that just makes it less stressful because you can't put in less hours. Like you, if you're more efficient, if you make every hour count, you just have more time for other things. You don't have to sit at the office until your boss leaves. Mm. Uh, I, I, I just saw a uh, buzz, or I'm sorry, um, Rescue Time, an app that uh, measures your time. Uh, they just put out a bunch of data on what they found for people uh, who are working. And they found that out of an eight hour workday, people are productive for about two hours and 40 minutes. Um, so it's like, the like, uh, and, and, and I, I imagine, Imagine that most of the people there are on a input, are measure, are being measured by their input rather than their output, um, and so that kind of gives a sense of we as human beings how productive we are, especially when given this kind of unlimited sense of distraction that this internet uh, and computer have, have been have been done. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, one of our values is the next one is efficiency. And that's be respectful of each other's time. And for example, like meetings are all, always optional. 
and it's acceptable to do other stuff during a meeting. If you mm. don't think it's relevant to you, just go do some work. That's great. Um, where can you talk about where that came from? How you guys came up with that? Well, um, we had a discussion about it. Like the, the person that hosts the meeting would like everyone's undivided attention. You have a lot of companies with like policies, like put your phone away. Um, I think one of the benefits of remote meetings is you can, you can do something else without appearing so, super disrespectful. Mm. And I think people should be the judge of whether something is useful for them, not the person transmitting the message, but the person receiving the message. And in the end, we measure their output. So if they miss out on stuff and, and they, they're, not, they're not producing, then that's their problem. Um, they are the directly responsible individual for what they, what they read, what they listen to, and we'll surface it to you. We'll try to state like what, how interesting it is. We'll give agendas up front so you can see whether it's interesting for you, but I'm not gonna force people's attention that, that is for that's for high school, and even we shouldn't be doing it in high school. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, that's really interesting. Any more particular values you want to talk about in the positive sense? Well, uh, we got four more to, or three more to go. So let's let's talk about them. Uh, oh. Diversity. Um, I think a diverse company with diversity of of thought and many different people make it more interesting. Uh, helps you to uh, see the relative side of things. Uh, another value is iteration. Um, by taking smaller steps, um, it's not the failure is less big if it fails. Also, there's less failure because the step is more obvious because you have more visibility. But also when you fail, it's not that the whole world is lost. Um, we ship every month. So if you miss a shipping window, it's not pretty, but at least it ships a month later. Mm. And we don't work on really big things. So I think we rarely cancel something. I think we've never canceled something in the company history, actually. Uh, maybe someone can remind me, but canceling something is, is a big source of stress, like where you, you want to see progress in your job and you just worked for nothing. Um, and the last one is transparency. And transparency means you don't have to wonder what information you're missing out on. You don't have to like try to gather information. Mm -hmm. we're, we're much more public about many things mm. uh, and that last one the transparency one could seem like it could be in that positive sense because people have that in access to information but it could also be in the negative sense that sometimes people share too much um, have you have you found any of that issue that balance between um, uh, honesty and kindness well share too much that um, I, we gotta I think we got to be pretty specific there um, so for example sharing customer names or information when the customer isn't aware that that's not okay. So it's, you got to pay more attention on, we, we have a lot of meetings that we I just stream to YouTube now. Mm. So people got to pay more attention there. And so that's a, that might be a source of, of stress. Also, um, we, we try to give negative feedback one-on-one, -on -one, but um, people are gonna, like if you, for example, write code and there's a code review, like that's viewable for other people. So you're, um, if you make a mistake, it's, it, it's more public. Mm. Mm. Um, and 
what is the composition of GitLab? How many, what percentage are engineers and what percentage are, are um, other uh, sales, marketing, that type of stuff? Yeah, let's, uh, let's go back to that uh, team page that we uh, looked at before. This is an overlapping taxonomy. Uh -huh. uh, so there's a lot of people in uh, engineering. Part of that is support. And then uh, customer success is, uh, is pretty big. Uh -huh. That's great. Um, and what are some sources of stress that uh, you're a software, you're, you're, you're an engineer or software developer, correct? It used to be, yes. Yeah. Um, so what are some sources of stress uh, for uh, software developers that don't exist in these other, other categories? What is more stressful about being a software developer? Well, first of all, it's, it's a creative endeavor. So uh, I think that makes it stressful. Uh, there's, there's just setbacks, stuff that's not working as it should be, like most of the time of making software is probably troubleshooting. Uh, there's uh, there are dependencies like you're you're working together with product management, UX, backend, frontend. Um, so you, there's handovers and there's expectations, mm. and there's how um, we want to do the right thing. So. Um, Stock code you ship might contain bugs that impact users, that, oh, heaven forbid, but um, cause data loss or security vulnerabilities. Um, mm. So I think that's a source of stress as well. Mm. Um, as, a, as, a, as a CEO and an executive, what is your view on essentially being really down in the details of running the company and then from a higher perspective of where the company is going and then steering that. Um, do you have any views on what the ideal balance is or maybe just some anecdotes about how you kind of work uh, with this ne necessity of being both the steering the ship as well as kind of seeing what's going on at a, at a micro level? Yeah. Um, I think you have to do both, uh, but obviously as the company grows, uh, your your big picture view is gonna get more and more uh, big picture. And that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's that requires a continual, continual adjustment. Mm -hmm. One of the things we're doing is uh, OKRs, objectives and mm -hmm. key results. So mm -hmm. I set the top level goals and my reports fill out, fill out how they're gonna uh, contribute mm -hmm. to that. I think that's a powerful way to kind of uh, make sure that people have a clear sense of what they're what they're going to work on for the for the quarter. Mm. Um, mm. I I care very much about the product also because I used to be a developer, uh, so I get more into the details there. I work with product and engineering and alliances uh, closely to um, to to make to 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 help further that. And I've, I think it's important that you keep talking with all levels in the company. So I regularly have individual contributors that that, uh, that uh, have a coffee chat with me. Mm. Very interesting. Um, and do you think that 
in your own personal experience uh, as an entrepreneur, is it something that you learned how to do or was it something that was innate to you that you, you kind of just followed this, this urge to create a company or did it happen organically? Yeah, I think it's mostly a, a learned skill. Um, this is my fourth company. So uh, lots of adventures along the way. Um, I think what they say at Y Combinator is you have to be relentlessly resourceful as a high growth entrepreneur. So I do think that's that might be an, a personal attribute. Um, not like one hand caring a lot about what others think, but also uh, having a lot of confidence in, 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 in that you can overcome obstacles. Mm. Uh, but I think a lot of the other things are, are learned. I studied management science and, and uh, the other companies and, and the companies I worked for have, have been a, a school in, in what to do and not to do. Mm. And then what, what do you think about the kind of cultural uh, differences in, in the Netherlands compared to here? Do you think growing up in the Netherlands offered you um, a, a view on work that's different than here? Or um, do you feel more comfortable in San Francisco or in, or in the Netherlands? Yeah, I love working in San Francisco because there's such a density of really ambitious and talented people. Um, I think where the Dutch aspect comes in is um, the the hour, like the, the efficiency that people tend to work very short hours, but get a lot done. So mm -hmm. GDP per hour is pretty high. So there's not a lot of uh, acceptance of, of waste. Uh, there's also kind of uh, very long hours in the office are, are not accepted. So I think that's another thing I brought. Uh, Dutch people also know to be pretty uh, frank about uh, problems and uh, less hierarchical. Uh, so maybe you can correlate that with like everyone can contribute and being very clear about what, what's not working. Mm. So I think those are some of the Dutch influences uh, I brought. And I've heard you say efficiency a couple of times. What do you think about the difference between efficiency and effectiveness? Yeah. Uh, um, the, so, the, so the difference is efficiency is um, doing something with a lower input. And effectiveness is doing the right thing. Uh, I think effectiveness is so obvious as a value that it's not really a value. Like no one's going to be against that. It's like putting teamwork as a value or something like that. It's, it's not saying anything. And mm. uh, of course you want to do the right thing and we'll try, but so does all of our competition. So I think efficiency is interesting because now you can say, okay, well, okay, we, we actually care about, doing the same thing, but then with less uh, people. How, how, can we, how can we do that? I think it's more actionable. Mm. Um, and things, of, some of the sub-values there are like boring solutions. So whatever problem we want to solve, we want to solve it with the most boring solutions that are available to us. So don't, 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 don't use an interesting technology because it's interesting to you because you're going to make it harder for other people to contribute. Mm. Um, about global efficiency. So don't just consider your own time, but consider the whole and be respectful of others' time, spend company money like it's your own. Um, keep broadcasts short. So on our company call, we briefly state what we have to say 
and then there's an, a link to find more information if you want it, but we're not going to go to it. Mm. More, more and more of our presentations are like, here's a slide deck. Where, where are the questions? You're not going to go through the deck one by one by one. People can read a lot faster. Yeah. Um, short mm. answers, um, people managing themselves. So we're not going to have another project manager that's going to hold you accountable. You should be accountable uh, to yourself and to, to the rest of the group you work with. Uh, but we're not going to have that as a special function within a vision. How do how do these values show up in hiring? Can you talk more about how how these values kind of descend into into who you hire and to and to... Yeah. So uh, first of all, most people that apply, or at least by the time we're we're ready, we're coming to offer stage, are aware of our values. They can opt in or out. Uh, we score people. Uh, to our values and so I, I think that's how they show up in hiring mm, interesting you score people can you talk more about that yeah so every time we hire someone we score them like we 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 have a lot of criteria some are the requirements of the job but some are our values every time someone gets a bonus at GitLab or a promotion it's linked to our values mm. um and so we've only got a couple minutes left. Um, can you talk about the relationship between fun and creativity, um, having fun and how that either enhances or maybe takes away from the creative uh, endeavors? <laughs> I'm not an expert there, uh, <laughs> but I, I think a creative process can be both a lot of fun and very frustrating. I think it's a heightened sense of you're kind of dialing it up. You're gonna have blips to both extremes. Um, with fun, I think about play and I think there's a great TED talk, um, that we're playing too little. Um, I think there should be more play. I got into programming and it was a lot of fun. And it's also because uh, there was a lot of play and play is when you're not under the supervision of someone where you're self-directed, where there, there aren't immediate objectives and you have a lot of freedom of how you explore a space. And fun is like doing unexpected things and then trying out uh, new things. And I, I think that's really important to have that freedom in creative work. And it's um, it's something we try to give people by not watching their hours so much. Mm -hmm. Of course, on the other hand, our iteration means you have to ship many small things. So with that, that, that I hope that doesn't distract from the the fun and I, I don't think it does mm -hmm. and on these on these in-person retreats do you have an element of like doing fun things together games uh things like that yeah so we have an opening and a closing ceremony that's the only time there's there's a there's a presentation uh -huh. then we have about three days of doing excursions together uh most of the time people are like no more excursions please uh, <laughs> we've we've seen everything uh so we just go out and and see see things with, with groups of people and then the rest is unconference so all the subjects are things that people volunteered like i want to talk about this and then people opted in to talk about that and it's not necessarily work related i think two one time the two most popular sessions were uh, how to prevent burnout and how to motivate yourself um, uh, so oh. we, we talk about things that we just talked about uh, uh, as well mm -hmm. 
And then I saw somewhere, I read somewhere that you're into Zook dancing. Are you still into Zook dancing or do you still do that? I don't do it anymore. I think the last time was a couple of months ago. I still oh, like okay. it though. Yeah. I've just gotten into Zook dancing for the last couple of months. So. Um, and I, I think that's an incredibly playful and fun form of dance. So. It is. Yeah. It's, it's, although I need a lot of structure to actually make it work. Uh, oh. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, closing up uh, what, um, if there was kind of one book that you've read or something that's kind of sparked your creative fire in the last couple in month or couple days or anything like that, is there any sort of idea or particular thing that you want to share with people about this, this topic? I, I don't have any books that, um, about creativity per se, I think learning Ruby and learning rails, uh, rails mm. book is I think known as the skateboard book and the, the, the Ruby book is a pickaxe book. Uh, mm. That was a lot of fun learning something so new and so foreign. Um, mm. So that was a great influence. I think another thing was uh, Ben Horowitz's book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, showing how incredibly stressful startups are, but also how very interesting they are. And I'm, I'm optimizing my life more for interestingness than success per se. And I, I find this, I find I'm, I'm very lucky that what I do day to day is, is extremely interesting and I only have to do the interesting parts of it. Mm. <laughs> uh, that, so that I have to ask this question, how do you think technology will change that what you just said? Do you think technology is in, in making it easier to live an interesting life? I think so. I, I hope we're moving more to like what's uh, basic income guarantee or American equity. And uh, I think that will allow people more freedom of what they work on and, and mm -hmm. that it has to be something that adds something to them. And I think mm -hmm. a lot more jobs are going to be uh, human centered. Um, so less menial factory jobs and more personal fitness coaches. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, and so how can people find out if you want to steer our listeners to one really interesting thing about, uh, GitLab, what would it be or your Twitter or whatever? Yeah. Um, I would say, I think one of the people, things people enjoy are, um, our handbook. So Google GitLab handbook. And, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, we got lots of other videos, um, if you want like a, a look inside GitLab, we have another channel called GitLab Unfiltered. And we have like the most random videos on there of like meetings that we had and everything else. I think that's highly interesting because it's pretty hard to get that content from any other company. Yeah, that's really interesting. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to share with people? No, uh, I want to want to thank you a lot for this call. Really enjoyed it. Cool. Thank you very much. Cool. Bye. Thanks for watching, Bye. everyone.